This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, as you heard in Jeremy's news, police moved in to enforce an injunction and remove the blockade near Belleville, Ontario. There have been a number of arrests. We're not sure how many, but apparently less than 10. There are also reports of fires being set near the site and another Mohawk blockade on the Mercier Bridge in Montreal. And that apparently has since been cleared. Uh, Now, there are many aspects to these developments, notably security and safety implications and the economic fallout. Let's bring in Ted Mallett, Chief Economist at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consultants and a former strategic analyst at CSIS. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, You're Welcome. Okay, let's start with you, Phil. Uh, Like everyone else, you've been watching this unfold. I would imagine this is a very delicate and difficult operation, dismantling this blockade and dealing with what else might be popping up. Well, absolutely. And I want to tip my hat to the OPP and to the RCMP out west and other law enforcement agencies that have done this really well. I I think that they've really done so carefully. It is a sensitive issue. We've had times in the past when it, when it has not gone well. I mean, I'm sure your listeners remember Ipawash and Burnt Church out of New Brunswick and Caledonia near Hamilton. And, you know, those were occasions on which, unfortunately, it did descend into uh, violence. So far, that does not seem to be the case. Uh, it's not over yet, as you're, I'm sure you're well aware, Libby. But they've been pretty patient. And I think that, as the Prime Minister said, that it's time for the barricades to come down. And the, the law enforcement agencies did what we pay them to do, and that is keep law and keep order. So, again, I tip off my hat to them. Uh, what else has to happen? I mean, it's it's not done yet, and uh, you, we still can't have the traffic moving, and it's not safe around. What what else will have to happen uh, before these areas are clear? Well, I think that the people that are responsible for the barricades have to recognize, yes, they've made their point, and in a democracy, you have that right. We've all heard what they have to say. Okay, let's keep let's keep this conversation going. But I'll, and I'll defer to, to, to my other guests on the economy, but this is having a very significant effect on the Canadian economy, jobs, supplies, things like that. And I think that those parties that are responsible for the disruption have to, you know what, okay, we've done this, let's move on to stage two, which is continue to talk about this and dismantle the barricades. It's as simple as that. Well, uh, I, I want to bring Ted Mallet in momentarily, but what I meant is what else do security forces have to do to make that area passable? Well, you know, once this, you know, the barricades are cleared, um, some of the major ones on the VIA lines and the CN lines, they're going to have to do their utmost to ensure that new ones aren't put up. And <laughs> Libby, this is a big country, and I'm not sure that anyone expects them to be in all places at all times. So they'll have to rely on information they have, perhaps some intelligence they've gathered in the course of their investigations to try to predict as hard as that's going to be where the next ones might be. But I mean, let, let's not that's what, let's not let's not pretend this is over. It's not. I just hope that saner heads prevail and that we get to the point where we can have a civilized dialogue on this thing. At the same time, let let the train through. 
Okay, Ted Mallett, um, we've seen various numbers. We've seen up to $425 million a day. Andrew Scheer just used a figure of $70 billion. Uh, what's your assessment of the economic damage? At this point, I don't think we can come up with a clear sense of uh, dollars and cents numbers. We just know that businesses that are affected are affected a lot, and there's, there's a lot of unevenness uh, out there. There are particular businesses that maybe getting most of their products shipped by, uh, uh, by, by boat or by truck, and they may not be directly affected at this point. But others uh, uh, just may be uh, tied in with the rail networks uh, more than they had thought before. Uh, there are businesses, uh, agriculture businesses, that are waiting for propane, and uh, uh, if they don't get another shipment soon, then their, their, uh, their chicken farm is in danger uh, of, uh, of, of freezing. They heat, they, they heat their barns with, uh, with propane. Uh, there's another business that uh, is about possibly losing a contract for $100,000 because it can't get the, the input product it needs in order to fulfill that contract. Uh, and others, uh, there's a restaurant owner in Western Canada waiting for uh, goods from overseas to complete renovations. So their business is out of uh, uh, out of business until they actually get this uh, uh, this, this particular shipment. So. Uh, Businesses that are affected are affected a lot, and that's uh, that's really problematic from uh, from the standpoint now that we're entering into uh, pretty much uh, uh, the, the the third week of protests. Uh, what about perishable goods? It's it's certainly affecting uh, the agricultural sector uh, tremendously as well. We have. Uh, um, uh, businesses that are hoping to get their products uh, shipped out from the prairies through ports in Vancouver uh, to international buyers, and the whole system is clogged up because uh, if trains aren't moving in one direction, they can't move in the other direction as well. And we certainly got uh, some some insight from uh, the rail network saying that for every one day that uh, service is disrupted, it's going to take three or four days in order to get things back to normal. So now that we've had a couple of weeks of uh, of disruptions, it's uh, the, the the impacts are even if the barriers come down and they stay down, uh, we're still into possibly the early spring before things can get back to normal. And uh, so, what kind of damage does that add up to? Well, for many businesses, uh, it it could mean that uh, uh, temporary layoffs are are necessary because they don't have the cash flow to deal with uh, with the work. If if all of their businesses is associated, or some of their business, even some of their businesses associated with uh, getting a particular important product via uh, rail networks, then then they 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 can't do anything right now, and and uh, so it could well be that that many of their employees will be placed on layoffs. Um, so trying to quantify that into a, a, a number is in, a number in the billions uh, or the or the millions is very difficult at this stage because uh, you know we don't know how much can be made up for in uh, in the near future, or uh, you know how much of it is is lost uh, uh, in, in in its entirety because uh, businesses may not be able to uh, uh, get that kind of contract again, and if they're they're buying from uh, or selling uh, to sort of buyers sensitive to, uh, you know, how easy is it for people to be able to do business in Canada, uh, then they may be losing uh, contracts in the longer term. So those things, again, are also very hard to quantify. Phil Gursky, uh, again, how does a security force deal with the prospect, and I'm sure they're prepared that there will be other blockades, but um, how do you try to deal with that? 
Well, you know, there are obviously organizations such as the one that I used, used to work for, CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. There's the RCMP, uh, the OPP in Ontario, the Société de Québec in Quebec, maybe some municipal law enforcement agencies. You know, they can, they can do investigations. They can gather information, <clears throat> whether it's inf- information they gather through human sources or information that they gather through other means. They have the responsibility in our country of ensuring that the law is respected, and they have an absolute right, I would say, to do their investigations to determine if, in fact, more laws are going to be broken. And and I would add, again, this is the worst-case scenario, Libby. We haven't seen it yet. I'm not saying we're going to, but the worst-case scenario is our acts of violence that are or sabotage that are carried out in the name of some kind of protest movement. And I would argue that this is exactly why we have the RCMP and the OPP and CSIS in place, to try to gather enough information to take action before these things happen, not afterwards. But again, you know, it's a pretty wide country we have here, and our security forces are relatively small in terms of uh, the number of agencies and number of people that work for them. So it's going to be a really hard task to try to figure out where, if, the next blockade is going to take place and where they can prevent it beforehand. And, you know, uh, they've said that violence is a last resort, so how... I mean, how exactly do you accomplish this? Well, that, that, I hate to say this, but I mean, the ball is in the protesters' court, right? They've been told there have been court injunctions that they have to cease and desist. They have elected not to do so, so they're breaking the law. And then, you know, the law enforcement agencies, be it the RCMP or the OPP, or municipal forces in places like Edmonton, uh, they have a sworn duty to uphold the law and remove those people. If they choose to resist, then the, the law enforcement has the perfectly acceptable um, way of using minimal force to try to get them to take those barricades down. And if they elect not to, you know, to, to, to fight back, well, I mean, I, I'm not calling for violence, and I'm not hoping for violence. But the bottom line is, is that we have a, a country that's ruled on the basis of law and order. The law must be respected by all of us. And, you know, again, I, I, I commend them for the way they've acted so far, that referring to law enforcement. But when push comes to shove, and, they, and they, you know, the decisions made to remove those barricades, they will be removed. And if the protesters or those that are manning the barricades decide to act to push back violently, well, um, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for the best, but I'm secretly preparing for the worst, I guess. And Ted, do you know yet if this is going to impact our economic growth as a whole, or when will that be clear? It's uh, probably going to take uh, uh, some time to figure that out, but uh, for for individual businesses, it, it's already affected uh, them uh, permanently in, in in some cases. So, uh, whether the the economy itself is is large enough to kind of uh, wash over those kind of negative impacts uh, that that some firms would be. Uh, uh, would be facing. It's, it's kind of early to say. Uh, and again, it would be almost dif- uh, impossible to come up with a sort of a, a clear assessment uh, to that sort of thing. And uh, economists, when they come up with these numbers, uh, tend to have long periods of time in order to compare, uh, you know, the question of, you know, what would have growth been like had we not had uh, these particular disruptions take place, and uh, they're all based on on models and so on that uh, are, uh, to to a large extent, pretty imprecise. So, 
Uh, you know, any numbers that are put out there are, uh, you know, have a wide range of, of uh, in- uncertainty around uh, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, for, for an individual business, uh, you know, the, the impact is already there. And, uh, you know, for them, uh, and more and more of them are, are, are seeing this kind of thing, because, uh, you know, in the, in the first uh, little while of the protest, uh, you know, businesses uh, that had goods and services or goods goods and products uh, already on the rail cars uh, that weren't moving anywhere uh, were starting to feel the effects. But uh, as the protest uh, continued, more and more firms were, were drawn into these uh, the, the kinds of problems because uh, if, if one particular product isn't being made as a result of a shortage of a particular uh, input, then it means that they can't sell it to the next level of business who needs that product in order to do what they're doing. Uh, so it, it's going to be cascading. And, and ultimately, uh, it's going to, if, if these uh, protests uh, can continue or if new blockades come up, uh, we're probably going to start seeing uh, the consumer affected more, where uh, store shelves on particular products may be very difficult to, uh, uh, to fill, and and, uh, and and prices may start increasing on on other products that are are particularly susceptible to these sort of things. So, uh, really, our our our, our members, uh, small business owners, were uh, were quite patient early on, but uh, they're they're now seeing that more and more firms are being brought into this, and. And more and more employees, as a result, are possibly being affected by uh, by layoff. So it's uh, uh, it 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 is a long-standing issue, and and you know we're we're hoping that there's a uh, uh, you know a good, peaceful, and lasting resolution. Uh, Phil Gursky, you know there there have been public opinion polls, and and while most Canadians want these blockades to end and don't agree with them, most people do agree that Indigenous people have had a very bad deal. And I'm just wondering, the fact that it's taken so long to even begin to deal with this, do you think that it has emboldened protesters uh, who now are thinking, well, we can shut things down for a very extended period of time without consequence? Wow, that's a really interesting question, Libby. Um, I think the answer is potentially yes. Although, you know, even if the protesters, if the barricades have been brought down immediately and, and some of the protesters have been arrested immediately, that would not have necessarily dampened their enthusiasm either. You know, for, for some people, this whole issue is analogous to an existential threat, right? They see climate change, global warming, the pipeline is going to contribute to that. And therefore, if they don't stop this and projects like this across Canada and around the world, we're basically digging our own graves as, as a civilization. So I think there are a lot of people who truly are convinced of this and are convinced that the time for action is now. We can't wait another 10 years, five years, whatever. We have to implement changes starting immediately. So I'm not so sure that the actual length of the protests, had they been shorter or longer, would embolden people. I think we're entering a time period where there certainly are parties out there who, as I said, are absolutely 100%. They believe that we, we, we have to take action now, and you know what? We'll, we'll have to do what we have to do, and if it means breaking the law, it means breaking the law. So I, I guess we're going we're gonna to have to wait for that, but this is where I think this... And, and, it, what, and the other interesting part of these protests is that it's not just Indigenous people, right? You yeah. do have climate activists as part of it. You have other groups that are part of it. So it's almost like it's become an, an umbrella for a bunch of people with somewhat similar but also somewhat disparate positions and, and, and ideas 
to get together and try and stop things. So we'll see where that whole thing goes in the weeks and months to come as well. Well, and we've we've also seen the spectacle of of profound disagreements among different Indigenous leaders. And I don't want to drill down on, on the intricacies of indigenous law but but we've seen a lot of uh we've seen sub chiefs completely disagreeing with these hereditary chiefs and and that just complicates matters uh, and elected bands having approved this pipeline but uh ted mallet you talked about knock-on effects as uh you know different components you know become uh are there shortages of them but what about i'm i'm reading about one example of a big customer of one of the ports diverting its ships because it's not reliable here uh, what do you expect in terms of people losing customers because suddenly our transportation is not reliable well, that's that's uh, one of the worries about the longer-term impacts uh, here, because uh, 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 as uh, as we've known, Canada is a, uh, a large country spread out. We've we've got a rail network and transportation network uh, that has lots of potential choke points. Uh, so it's relatively e- uh, we're just discovering how how easy it is uh, for a small group of people to shut down the national uh, trade infrastructure, which is uh, which is more of a concern perhaps than we had uh, uh, known about earlier. So uh, we're, we're learning in that. Perhaps that's, uh, that's a good thing. But uh, the, the concern now is what do others think about the, the prospects of dealing with Canadian businesses uh, or the prospects of investing in Canadian firms to be able to make products or ship products across the country? If the fear is that they, there's a... Uh, uh, definite chance that this could happen in the future, uh, then people will naturally and, and legitimately look for less risky approaches. And if it means shipping their product uh, through uh, Seattle instead of Vancouver or, or through Baltimore instead of Halifax, then they'll probably do that. And uh, that changes the entire uh, sort of range of, of uh, uh, transportation for particular products. Uh, it also means that that uh, foreign buyers may say, "Well, you know, I've, I've, I could buy a Canadian product, or I could buy a relatively simple European or a similar European product, or an American product." Uh, but you know, there's 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 a potential for the Canadian product that may never get to me, or it may be delayed by uh, three or four weeks because of, of of this sort of thing. So, I think my safer bet is buying. Uh, the American or the European product, and oh. so so that will have a lasting impact on on uh, Canadian jobs, Canadian businesses, uh, and uh, our, ultimately our standard of living. So you know the the fear is that we're going to be knocked down. Uh, okay, uh, Ted, I, we're we're running into a time crunch here, so uh, I'm going to wrap things up there. I really appreciate your input, Phil Gursky in Ottawa and Ted Mallet in Toronto. Thank you so much. Thanks, Libby. Always a pleasure. Okay. And uh, we are going to be following up on this, obviously, tomorrow with our strategy panel and uh, many other big, huge developments that all seem to be unfolding at once. But for now, that's all the time we have. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.